0: Welcome to the Telford Minster podcast. Thank you for joining us and listening along. Our vision is to make Jesus known in Telford and we hope that your attention is grabbed by Jesus today and what he is doing in your life. We have now moved into the completed Minster space on Southwater Square in Telford and we'd love to invite you to come along and give church a try at our 4pm gatherings every Sunday opposite Wilco's and above Novella Lounge. Enjoy the podcast. I'm allegedly retired, though I do seem to be very busy preaching the word in different parts of uh, the country. Um, And I'm part of the vision team here at at Telford uh, Minster. Um, And I'm given, is it the short straw to talk about mission? I I don't know. But I've got the privilege, put it this way, of speaking within this discipleship series about the call that God has put upon disciples to take all that we have received, all that we have discovered, and actually share that with other people. Um, uh, The theologians use big words, uh, mission and evangelism. I just like to think of sharing what God has given to us. Um, So I might use those words. Mission means the whole of the church's interaction with the world around us. As we press out, not just with the words of the gospel but as we press out with peace and justice and kind of a transforming lifestyle to impact the world around us, uh, evangelism more discreetly is sharing the good news which has come to us for our salvation uh, personally and as a church. I'm going to use those words, if you like, sort of interconnectedly, Uh, And I'm going to do so looking at the passage that Jeanette, you did absolutely brilliantly with those words. Um, in Acts chapter 16. So if you've got the scriptures in front of you, do take, uh, have those perhaps open in front of you on screen um, or in your uh, Bibles. It's part of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. Um, in the days when people had paper Bibles, you found out where the second missionary journey went by doing what, guys? by looking at the maps absolutely correctly, that always seem to appear in the back of our Bibles. Uh, Some of you may want to do that. Um, It's a a long journey. It's a journey of multiple years. It begins in northern Syria in a place called Antioch, and it's a journey uh, on foot, almost certainly, heading right the way west, ending up in Greece, in Corinth, and Athens. There's a long sea journey back to where they began uh, in Antioch, and the key figures on the journey are the Apostle Paul, remember him, converted on the Damascus Road, he's there. Um, and he's got some kind of uh, supporters and second lieutenants with him. Uh, Silas, uh, he takes Timothy, and you remember that Paul later will write to Timothy in a couple of letters in our New Testaments. Um, and when we get to verse 10, um, the language becomes inclusive. Uh, the, the, Luke, who's writing this in the Acts of the Apostles, uses the word we suddenly. So Luke has also joined Paul and Silas and Timothy and no doubt lots of others as they journey outwards from Syria right the way into the Gentile uh, world. Now, please don't think I'm a sad person, but I find it really exciting. <laughs> okay. uh, this is a story, a journey in which People come to faith in Christ, hallelujah, uh, where new infant churches are planted and where small churches are encouraged and built up um, as Paul and this troop go on their way. We're starting to see what Jesus spoke about just before his ascension, which is the gospel spreading from Jerusalem into Judea, outwards to Samaria, and then onwards to the ends of the earth. And this is just one part of that story of how the gospel gets out from its beginnings in Jerusalem and has impacted the rest of uh, the world. So in a minute, I'm going to come on and just make a few points from Acts chapter 16, um, dare I say it, that can encourage and help us as latter-day disciples of Jesus, So, we are called to take all that we have discovered and to share it with other people, as we're called to engage in mission, uh, as we're called to share our faith in uh, evangelism. But can I just say a few words by way of introduction? Because I kind of know that preach after years of doing this, that preaching about mission can, in some quarters, be like throwing out, out a bucket of cold water over a congregation. Because we all get worried and anxious about this being part of the work of discipleship to which, we're called. So let me just say this first of all, a few words of introduction. Uh, firstly to say that our call to share faith is much more likely to be right where we are now rather than travelling, like Paul and Co did, uh, long distances into a distant part of the world. Uh, now watch out, because God may call us <laughs> into a long journey. I shall never forget the day my daughter Elise phoned us and said Dad, I think God is calling myself, my husband John, our two children of five and three to be missionaries in the Klong Toy Slum in Bangkok. Okay? Uh, and that call came to them in an airport lounge in Bangkok and it came like that and they couldn't avoid it and they're still there uh, eight years later. So Let's not rule out the possibility that God may call us to travel a distance, but we're much more likely to actually have to do our faith sharing right where we are now. Uh, amongst the people that you're bumping into in your localities, in your communities, uh, in your places of work and leisure, uh, that's where we spend the bulk of our lives. I did a little mathematical exercise. Now, I'm not a mathematician. you will have to correct me here. Uh, how many, uh, how many uh, uh, seven days in a week? How many hours in a week? Okay, 168 hours in a week. How many of those hours do we spend in this building? Maybe two. Maybe you go to a village. Uh, maybe you're involved in other uh, church activities. Let's say it's six hours of involvement directly in the life of the church. That is 35 3.5% of the lives that we live. The rest of our lives are spent quite a bit in bed, but the rest of our lives are spent in our workplaces, in our places of leisure. Uh, That's where we're called to live out our discipleship. And friends, that's where we're called to be missioners and evangelists. That's where we're called to share our faith in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, by way of introduction. The second thing is this, that this faith-sharing thing really isn't rocket science. Um, I think the best definition of evangelism that I've ever heard is simply this, it is is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Okay? It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Uh, bread. It's sharing with others, quite simply, what God has put into our hands. And we're no great sheikhs. You know? I'm no great sheikhs. But God has put something into my hands. And wonderfully, he says, go and share it <laughs> with others who, who need to, to receive what you have uh, discovered. Friends, I'm so grateful for Peter. Uh, I can tell you his surname because he's not going to be here. Peter Rathbone. Who, in 1975, November, uh, September, October, 1975, knocked on my college door and introduced himself as someone who was from the Christian Union. Um, and I didn't shut the door immediately, but I don't think I showed any grit enthusiasm, but he kept on coming back. Um, and I invited him in, and we got into conversations. <laughs> And then he said, would you like to go to a discussion group? It was well before the years of Alpha. And in that discussion group and then starting to go to church, within a matter of weeks, I'd become a a Christian. And what I remember about Peter is firstly his humility and secondly the look of absolute terror on his face (laughs) when he knocked on my door. You know, it cost him everything. I was probably a name on a list, you know, Go and visit such and such in, in room W2, whatever it was. Um, and I think it cost him a huge amount. But I do wonder where I would be today. <laughs> what life would have been if Peter had not uh, actually taken, re- taken responsibility and come along and knocked on my door and with great simplicity begun to share his faith uh, with me. Um, And there can be a tendency in church circles to think that the people who are equipped to share faith are those who've been Christians for many years. Uh, You know what my experience was? My experience was that I led more people to faith in Christ during my first year as a Christian than I did in the following five years because there was something about that fresh discovery, that fresh excitement in Christ, that made it very easy. Uh, And I've got friends today who are in Christian ministry, simply because in Queen's College, Cambridge, in 1975 and 76, uh, Kevin Roberts, fresh and new to the Christian faith, getting everything wrong, probably, (laughs) as I shared the details of Christian faith, um, uh, actually became Christians. So this is not for the experts, Uh, It's not just for the clergy, it is for every single uh, uh, one of us, because it's simply one beggar telling another beggar where they can find uh, bread. And then the third point by way of introduction is this, that we can't really get off the hook and leave it to others, Um, which is a tactic that many of us use, if we're absolutely honest we think, well, we'll leave it to the full-timers. We'll leave it to the articulate. We'll leave it to the Kevin Robertses who've got their theology degrees, or whatever it might be. Uh, So I'm not needed, you know? And actually, we can't do that. We can't do it for two reasons. One is, the need is too great. The challenge before the church in sharing the gospel of Jesus is just too big to let any of us have time out. Um, I was at a conference this week with some of you guys uh, here when the Bishop of Chester, Mark Tanner, came to speak to us. Uh, And he stood in front of, I don't know, 75 of us. And he said, you know, the biggest issue in my diocese, which is the Diocese of Chester, just up the road, isn't stuff about sexuality and gender... It's the fact that in all the Anglican churches in Cheshire, there are, are about 30,000 committed Christian believers. The population of the county of Cheshire is one and a half million. He says that's the big challenge of the day. There are, there are 30,000 people. And I tell you what he said 30,000 people, and there are one and a half million people who are going to hell diocesan bishop in the Church of England, those were the words that he used. The challenge before us is so immense, it's going to need every single one of us, from the most newborn Christian uh, to those who are sharing faith in their nursing homes and in their dotage, to be involved in this work of mission and evangelism. Otherwise, we're going to see people slipping out of this life, never having discovered the reality of Jesus and the hope that is only found in him. And you know, the second reason why we can't be let off the hook is this, that Jesus actually requires us to do it. Uh, This is the cold water bit, isn't it? It's It's not actually optional. It is actually obligatory for us. It is laid upon us because we are held within the great commission of Jesus who said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptising them and teaching them to do everything that I have taught you. We are all included. Anybody opting out? Well, there we are. <laughs> so those are three things I just want to say before I look into uh, the passage. God will call you, is much more likely to call you to share faith where you are than to travel to the ends of the earth. It's not rocket science. It's one beggar sharing with another beggar why to find, where to find bread. And actually, all of us have to be involved because the task is too big for a handful of us. Okay, so will you give me a few minutes just to share with you from Acts uh, chapter 16? Um, what can we learn from the experience of these intrepid travellers, Paul and his co-travellers, as they took the gospel westwards from Syria right the way through into the Gentile, uh, Greek-speaking world. What can we learn for our task of faith-sharing today? The first thing is this, is that they were excited about the message. (laughs) And that's clear as you read all of the Acts of the Apostles and all of the missionary journeys, that there's a kind of spontaneity about the way in which they share the gospel. You know, even when the first Christians were kicked out of Jerusalem following the stoning of Stephen, it says, Luke says something like, and they preached the gospel wherever they went. They didn't spend all their time feeling sorry that they'd been persecuted, they'd lost their homes, they'd been kicked out onto the streets. No, they took every opportunity. Why? Because it had embedded itself in their hearts and they were excited about the gospel. And it's that word gospel that appears here in uh, verse 10. Um, And I'll tell you the context a little bit later. But It says this, We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And that word gospel... Um, that word gospel, it literally means, and many of you will know this, it literally means good news. You know. Uh, it doesn't mean Christian values. It doesn't mean a new set of do's and don'ts. It doesn't mean my church is a great church. It means good news. And I just want to say to you this, I wonder whether step one, in being carriers of the gospel to others, is that we're excited about it ourselves? Surely there must be one or two amens in response to that. Is that step one, in going out into the world and sharing the gospel with others, is that we are excited about it ourselves, that it has bowled us over, that it's thrilled our souls, that it's enlivened our minds, that it's changed our lives such that we can't bear the thought that other people have not heard this good news too. Uh, And I wonder, uh, Christian people, some of you being Christians for decades, some of you new to the Christian faith, whether we just need from time to time to take stock on just how good this gospel is. Um, And some of us are a bit longer in the tooth, even others starting the Christian journey, never stop digging into the gospel. Never lose your excitement for what this good news consists of. Never let it be just a kind of neutral thing that sits in your mind, but re-engage, allow yourself to re-engage with the the wonder that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was speaking this morning in Millbraith's church, and somebody came up to me who, after the service who, 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 who I've known for many years, and has been a Christian for 30 or 40 years, and she said to me, do you know that one thing you said this morning, I'd never spotted before. (laughs) After 40 years of being a Christian, she was spotting something (laughs) for the first time, and the Gospel is like that, isn't it? That the deeper we look into it, the more faces of the diamond that we allow ourselves to focus on, the more we discover of the wonder Of it uh, all, that Jesus has died for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That simply as you put your faith and your trust in him, not because of anything that you bring to the table, not because of any worthiness or good works, you are forgiven. Amen. That when you become a Christian, you do not become religious. I remember somebody, a relative of mine, saying after I'd become a Christian, Kevin's got religion that was the last thing I got. And it's the last thing I want. You know? Religion is a desperately ambiguous thing. It's got all kinds of negativity and control and stuff embedded in it, if we're not careful. Uh, But finding faith means that you become an entirely new person. Not getting religion, but becoming a new person. If anyone is in Christ then they are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, and the new has come. And that's in me. We become newborn as uh, Christian uh, people. Um, we get uh, the Holy Spirit comes to live within our, within our lives. How astonishing is that, that God himself comes to live within the fabric of our lives, and he starts to work from the inside to change us into the likeness of Jesus. And we're able to walk through our lives in relationship with him. There's no chorus. We can walk with him and talk with him along life's narrow way. We get a purpose in life. Death becomes for us not a forbidding end of our journey, but death becomes a doorway into an eternal life. And we are saved from a hellish, eternal separation from God. Is that good news or not? is that good news? I can't tell whether you're excited about it. I can't tell whether your heart's beating faster, you know? Because this is what it's all about. Paul speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that's our experience. And the more we are living it, the more we're letting it settle into our minds and into our hearts, the quicker we're going to be to get out there and to share it with other people. I think that's step one. We see it here for our lives, um, excitement about the message of the gospel. And then secondly, these missioners listen to the heart cry of the world around them. And we see that especially as they, uh, you'll have heard this as Jeanette was reading it, Uh, They've travelled right the way across Asia. We'll come back to that in a moment. This is hundreds of miles on foot. They get to the sea that separates Asia from Greece. And while they're there, Paul has a vision in the night. Let me just read that uh, to you. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. That's the Greek world uh, west of the sea. Uh, opposite where uh, they have currently got to in Asia. They see he has a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia. Um, And some translations put begging, some put pleading, some put urging, some translations put appealing, that Paul and his companions might jump in a boat and go and help them in Macedonia and in the Greek-speaking world. And they're so convinced that God has spoken that they then get ready and they cross over the sea, and so the mission to the Greek world begins. And friends, if there's a lesson here for us, it's this, that if we live close enough to the world around us, we will hear people who are desperate for the good news. We'll hear of people... Uh, We'll hear people who are desperate to hear that there's a God who loves them. Uh, People who are desperate to hear that they matter in the world and are not just a fleeting flash of light between the darkness of the womb and the darkness of the grave. Um, There are people out there who are desperate to find a reason for living. I meet countless people who are living life with great energy but actually have no reason why, no understanding as to why they're doing that. Or where this is all heading, it's as if they're going round and round in circles. We'll meet people who are desperate to find forgiveness for the ways in which they've messed up, and they know they've messed up. And desperate, people who are desperate to find a message of hope in the dire situations that they live in. I meet people still who are desperately afraid of death, and who need to hear a message that death needn't be the end. I think there's a heart cry in the lives of people around us and fundamentally it is a heart cry for God and it is a heart cry for the gospel and we need to hear it friends. We need to hear it right here local in Telford as though the man of Macedonia shall we call him the man of Telford? The man of Telford is begging us to get out of our churches and to come over the water into their lives. And I think there's a challenge here for some of us who've kind of settled in church. This has become our world and we've ceased to hear the heart cry of people who are living a kind of quiet desperation in the houses next to us, in the desk next to ours in the office, in the supermarket where we work, and we've failed to hear their heart cry, or we've stopped seeing the people who are living bland, grey, unexciting lives, which is nothing like, there's no approximation to the life that God has designed for us to live, and which is the gospel, you know, life in all its fullness. Friends, are we living as they were living, open to the cry of the man of Macedonia. Uh, Are we open to the cry of the man, the women of Telford, who are begging us, appealing to us, longing for us to get out of our churches and to get into their lives, which will bring them the very message of hope that we know they need. And I think, you know, we people have been through the pandemic... We've got a cost-of-living crisis coming up through this uh, winter time, the likes of which probably I've never seen in the 60-odd years of, of my life. And I just wonder if it's going to wash away some of the veneer in people's lives that life is okay without God, that we can get through without him. This could be a great opportunity for us to speak into people who are feeling fragile and needy, and who are desperate for a message of hope. Is all this making sense to you? I think they were excited about the gospel, and friends, so must we be. They were attentive to the heart cry of the world around them, and so must we be. And the third thing is this, that these guys, two millennia ago, went where the Holy Spirit sent them. Now, I'm sure they planned their mission, (laughs) They must have got all their kind of stuff together, their tents and all the rest of it. Um, They were very intentional about doing it. But it's a remarkable story of a group of people who were led by the Holy Spirit in order that they might get the gospel out in the Greek-speaking world way off to the west. Um, Let me just read to you some of uh, the uh, verses here. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the gospel in the province of Asia. So God had stopped them going into this massive Roman province of Asia. Uh, Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, that's heading north, but the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. And then verse Nine uh, is the vision of the man of Macedonia saying, begging them to come over and help them in the Greek speaking uh, world. They were open, if you like, they'd done all their planning, but they were open to having their plans interrupted and overruled by a Holy Spirit who had a bigger agenda for them. Is that making sense? Um, and the Holy Spirit didn't want them to get diverted by heading north into Bithynia. He didn't want them to linger by spending too long in the province of Asia. He wanted them to go straight through it because the strategy of God the Holy Spirit was that the gospel broke into the Greek-speaking world and, of course, from there, it would spread even further westward. Um, I don't know where I'd been. I'd been somewhere a couple of weeks ago and I came back on a Friday and a text message came through on my phone from a new we're living in a new house we've got new neighbors and this was a neighbor saying uh, do you fancy coming around for a drink tonight to meet and greet and my heart sank I'll be absolutely honest with you my heart sank I was so shattered the last thing I wanted was to go out and meet and greet anybody Um, and it wasn't it wasn't an audible voice But more or less immediately, I heard the Lord say, go. And that's what I did. I can't say we shared the gospel, but we made it very clear to our new neighbors who we were as Christian people. Uh, We began to bridge a relationship. Uh, Here in Telford, there's so much that we could be doing by way of mission and evangelism, but what must we do? We could find countless projects (laughs) Countless ways of getting the gospel out. But what is the Holy Spirit saying? Where is the Holy Spirit saying, don't do this and don't do that because I want you to be aligned to my strategy to do this. And getting the gospel into Athens and Corinth, you you can read it, can't you? Thessalonica, it's all there in our scriptures, led to many, many people finding faith. We need to be as open, to the now work of the Holy Spirit directing the mission of the church as those first Christians were all those years ago. And I already sense I could be losing you because I'm speaking for so long. Can I just say two more things briefly? Um, uh, So they're excited about um, uh, the gospel. Um, They went where the Holy Spirit uh, sent them. And here's a fourth thing. They were willing to cross boundaries they were willing to cross boundaries. And they crossed a whole range of ge- different geographical boundaries. And then eventually, as we've just heard, they crossed not just a geographical boundary into Macedonia, into the Greek-speaking world, but they crossed a massive cultural boundary. Um, and you know, God will often call us to speak to those who are like us and who we understand but he will also, on occasions, challenge us to step out of our comfort zones and into the uncomfortable territory occupied by people who are not like us and who we don't uh, understand. Laura's going to speak to you, uh, friend, in order that they might, too, hear the gospel. Um, And unless we're careful, unless we're willing to cross boundaries into other people's worlds... The great danger is that we simply build churches of people who are like us. And there are whole tracts of, of our wider community that we never actually make an impact in because we've not been willing to step across, our com- out of our comfort zone into uh, another place that we might find forbidding and difficult. And Telford is full of boundaries. It's full of geographical boundaries and cultural boundaries, it's full of age boundaries, and if we're to get the gospel out consistently across the churches, then we like those first guys 2,000 years ago, will need to be willing to step out of our comfort zones, to speak the language and to wear the clothes of other people in order that they too can hear the gospel. And here's a fifth and just a final thought, otherwise I've completely lost you, which is that they went and we must go where people were already being prepared by the Holy Spirit. Um, Where the ground has been prepared such that when the seed falls, it grows 30, 60, 100 fold. Um, Jesus himself spoke, didn't he, about shaking the dust off your feet. Uh, Here, what we see in Philippi in Macedonia... Is that Paul and his contemporaries uh, went to a place where they thought that people would be praying? The people praying by the river were called worshippers of God. They were not Jews, but they were Gentiles who were following the way of the Jews. And sitting amongst them was Lydia. And, and Lydia heard the gospel, was absolutely ripe and ready. <laughs> and she received it, and she was baptised, and her household was baptised. And she said to the, the whole gang, come and stay at my place tonight. Um, friends, we need to be on the lookout for the Lydia's, the people in whom God is working, and who are ripe and ready to hear uh, the Gospel. Gosh, have you taken all that in? Quite a lot there, isn't there? Um, Let's be excited about the good news of Jesus. If we're not excited, we're not going to bother traveling outwards to share it. Let's listen to the heart cry of a needy world and not lock ourselves in our churches, but be willing to step out with the gospel. Let's go wherever the Holy Spirit sends us, even if that defies all our planning and all logic, even crossing boundaries into other people's worlds that we don't understand and that are very different to ours. And let's be ready to spot the Lydias around us, ripe and ready to hear the good news of Jesus. Are you up for it? See, I can't understand the the bucket of cold water when it comes to mission. I never have been able to, because it is so exciting. And after 40 years of being an ordained vicar in the Church of England... I can point back you know, to all the kind of achievements and everything else, but the most exciting thing is being right at the side of somebody when they make a profession of faith in Jesus. That's the high spot, and always has been. Um, and seeing God at work, going before us, and stepping into his work, there's nothing more exciting. So are we up for it? for the transformation of Telford. Not the building of Telford Minster. You know, if God uses Telford Minster, that is absolutely wonderful. We're not here to grow Telford Minster. We're here to get the gospel out into 180,000 people in this town, most of whom have never heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, have no idea of how it's relevant to their lives And friends, going back to where I began, they're living next door to you. They're within your families. They're in your workplace. They're amongst the people you bump into at the football match. They're in your schools and in your colleges. And they're living without God and without hope in the world. And we are beggars and we have found bread. So let's go and tell other people where they too can find it. Why don't we stand? I just want to invite you to bring before God in your minds and on your hearts those you know who don't know Christ. Uh, perhaps you've actively witnessed to them over the years and they've made no response. Um, perhaps it's someone who, even as we're praying now, God will put on your heart. Um, The neighbour you've not yet been round to meet and greet. The person that you spotted at the school gates who looked a bit low uh, when you were there on Friday afternoon. And I just want you to kind of put them on your hands in front of you. And pray for them. And pray for them by name. And put your heart into the prayer. Because this is about life. This is about eternity. This is about something that really, really matters. So we're not neutral, are we? I'm not neutral that one of my three children has not yet put their faith in Christ. I'm absolutely passionate that he comes to find Christ. I'm not neutral about those new neighbours I met, whether they find Christ or not. God is helping me to pray for them. So lift them by name. And then while you're praying, listen to whether the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about how you can connect your life with that person's life and how God might use you in some small way to be a conveyor of the gospel, someone who speaks to them good news. Listen to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. Thanks for listening. We hope this time blessed you. Hit the subscribe button to hear more like this, and to find out more about Telferminster, follow us at Telferminster on Instagram and Facebook, or go to telferminster.org.